So I talk a lot about success, Tony. I talk a lot about success and it hit me the other day because I, you know, I, I take off like a couple weeks. I don't take off, but I, I down regulate over Christmas. You know, I, I bust my ass throughout the year. And those last two days, those last two weeks, man, I really, I really enjoy just being home with the kids and playing and doing stuff. So, so, and, and, and it's weird because when you do those sort of down regulation times, your brain catches up with you and you start thinking about all these different things. And I, it's something I talk about all the time. I talk about failure, but then I get on podcasts and I'm going to talk about well, what made you successful. And I don't ever ask like, what's your failures? Mm. So my first thing I'm going to ask you before we even get into no fear and that a little bit about your background is, is there, is there a failure that really stands out in your life that like you look back and go, man, if it wasn't for that failure, I wouldn't be the man that I am today or wouldn't have the success that I have today because failure is hard. And I've had some big ones that in the, in the moment they feel like this is it. I've this lost it. everything. But then you yeah. look back and you're like, well, shit, if it wasn't for that failure, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the opportunity that I have today. So anyways, do you have one of those? How long's the show? Cause I got way too many and I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know where to start. You know, I've started, I, I, I was just doing a rant in one of our, our, our courses. Uh, you know, my, my main business and passion is teaching people how to manage fear and violence. And, right. And and I was and I'm always trying to find ways to help them reframe and understand where to get education from, where to get like uh, I just did a post called the accidental mentor, like yeah. where you look at something and and you it could be a picture, it could be a meme, it could be a podcast, and you find yourself thinking about that over and over again. Well, that's that's an accidental mentor, but at the end of the day, you're the teacher and you're the student and life's the lesson and it's that perspective right and so man there are so many things that that have dropped me to my knees right as the metaphor goes where i got dropped in your line there and you're like this is it um yeah. i will say this it has never occurred to me to quit in any of those failures but there were dark 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 holes and rabbit holes or caves whereas like where the negative self-talk is I fucked. I will never get out of here. Like, you know, why has this happened to me? And as you get older, uh, the, the, just for perspective, I'm in my sixties now and there's things that I go, Oh, and I wish I'd known when I was 20 and 25 and yeah. 30. And, Cause I can tell you, uh, you know, I can think back now to an event that happened when I was 12 years old, that you would go, oh, that's an origin story for your self-defense business. But while I was getting beaten up by these two kids, I was like, this is a catastrophe. This is, I'm done. I, I have no confidence yeah, yeah. and no backbone. And, right. and then I realized that led me to martial arts and self-defense that started this. Right. And, 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 uh, you know, I had my, my, my business was stolen from me in 2010. I was doing $12 million a year and I had my, my partner and my COO who I had hired out of, out of fucking Harvard and paid off his education, did a deal behind my back to, to, to extract my company. I had to dissolve it four days later, hire a lawyer and, and 
like a week after that, I had a home invasion. I wasn't home. Guys with no masks, with guns in my house, with my wife and my kids. And I was like, oh my God. We're waiting for our our our, our uh, green cards, and and we're moved, had moved to the states, and it was like everyone's like, well, this is a sign from God or whoever you believe in. You're not supposed to be here. Move back home where you got family, where you got security, where you got this. Because we we grew up in Canada, and uh, you have all of these things going through your head. Where why is this? What what the fuck just happened? I'm gonna lose everything. It. it and so I can look now, it took me five years to get through that. And you almost never get through shit like that. There's always some sort of scar tissue where you go, oh yeah, you know, yeah. but the, the, you know, so there was a point there where I went, people fucking suck. I'm never gonna have a partner, no more equity, no more this. I had, and you get really defensive, but right. like, like I emerged out of that and the company is bigger, bigger than it was with better people now. And I can look back now and go, had that not happened, I'd still be living in Virginia Beach, uh, surrounded by people who are just, you know, manipulating me to for a buck. And, and I, I like, when I look back, then I was the fattest I ever was the laziest I ever was because I was, I got sucked into being this, like this corporate machine. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't that wasn't me. I'm a boutique. I'm not a Costco. Uh, I, 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 and, uh, but none of those changes would have happened had that not been like that, that big fucking kick in the nuts, but there's continuous the, stuff like that. And those things are horrible there. It's horrible to go through, but the reality is, and, and, and I, and I've got all those same hor I got those same horrible stories. And the reality is every single person that's got some, some really nice, really great success has these horrible and I didn't know that because I because I, I met you when I was with Marsoc I came up there for training at one of your facilities in 2008 in Virginia Beach and I never under, I was like why would he go from Virginia Beach he doesn't seem like a California guy um so I never uh, knew why you left now I know yeah so it's an interesting background on that also uh I was a Bruce Lee junkie right when, when yeah. Bruce Lee when Bruce Lee died in 1973 that was the golden era of like martial art the martial arts exploded. Well, I was a 12 year old, 13 year old kid who had just discovered I'd just been beaten up the year before, started doing Taekwondo. Uh, my parents had just gotten divorced, so my dad took us to California. A lot of what, and it's interesting when you get to the point where you can cultivate the self awareness to lie there and, and consciously meditate and see all of these connections, like, yeah. like the things in your life where I grew up in the 60s my my accidental mentors were robert conrad in the original wild wild west bruce lee in green hornet uh, all every tv show had a guy that solved the problem with violence yeah, yeah. like uh, like every show i mean and you and, and you've got a military and training background so you i mean you gravitate towards that but it was yeah. like but it was like if i watched if i watched TV, something on tv and it was and it was and the choreography back there was so bad right but if i watched TV, on tv you know there you was, know, a, bad there was guy, a bad guy who got a fucking judo chop in the neck and that was the end of the show or robert conrad punched him and he fell down or somebody got shot and uh and uh that that you know, when I was a you teenager, know, when I was a teenager, you know, rocking, you know, rocking. When I was 16 years old. Uh, and so I had all of these 
these ideas and I grew up with tremendous amount of fear, psychological fear. I was a really good athlete, but for some reason I was always super afraid of how I'd be perceived, how this would turn out. I, like, like I, as nervous as I was when I got jumped by those two guys, that's how nervous I would get if the teacher said, put your books on the floor, surprise test. My heart would be racing, my physiology would be going, like who gives a shit? You, you got a D, you got a B, you got right. a C, you got a, you'll learn. But I would get so nervous and I get that nervous. I was, I was a, a, a really, really good skier. My parents were in the ski patrol as a very high level skier. And I competed downhill, giant slalom, <clears throat> freestyle. Every, before every race, I wanted to projectile vomit, man. And so what was going on externally was, there's Tony, internally I'm going, oh man, whoa, why am I so nervous? Turns out a lot of top performers have that. They've just mm -hmm. figured out how to contain that or manage that. And we use like in our no fear seminars now, we got clips of Mike Tyson talking about throwing up and crying before events. George St. Pierre, one of the greatest, you know, MMA guys ever saying the worst day of his life was like fright, fight day. He was so scared. But, you know, when you see him at 4% body fat leaping across the, the ring, punching somebody in the face, you would never think this guy's scared, right? And yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know about Mike Tyson until I, you gave your no fear talk and you told me that. And I was like, no kidding, because you would never guess that that guy every exactly. for every fight was throwing up, throwing up in the locker room. Yeah. And it and it's so like that all fascinated me. And, and when I started teaching, uh, I loved coaching. I taught tennis. I taught skiing at young ages. And so when I started teaching self-defense, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, geez, what am I going to do? Oh, I'll teach self. It was, I was a shipper at my dad's factory making four bucks an hour. And I'm, and, and this is, uh, um, you remember the meat scene with Rocky in the original yeah, Rocky? Of course. He's hitting the sides of meat, right? Right. So we would get these big boxes. My dad's company, he's an import, ladies' uh, clothing importer. We'd get these huge boxes from overseas that were really, really thick because they had to you know, travel by, by freight, by money. So huge boxes. You could stand in them. They were huge. But you could hit them and, and, and really nail them. And if you hit it clean, your knuckle would perforate. It would give you a pop. Well, I'm like 19, 20 years old working in, in the ship and we'd unpack the shit. Well, I've, I've been doing martial arts now for, at, at the time, uh, I guess, eight years straight, a fanatic. I would, I would roll out of my bed. I had, just in perspective, my family loved me. Um, I became such a fanatic because I really thought, Nick, that if I learned how to fight, that I could solve all my problems. Like that was the yeah. connection to the 60s. Like all these, all these type A alpha males you know, handled, solved everything with violence at the end. I mean, of the that movie. was my, yeah, I grew up with eighties action movies, you know, Rambo and commando. And yeah, like, so I, I thought the same thing, get jacked, learn how to fight and, you know, be a right, badass. Right. Hence, you, hence you know, my, you, hence my entire adult, <laughs> adult <right>. career. <laughs> everything you do. Um, right. the, um, you know, the expression, the pen is mightier than the sword. Yeah. Okay. So I like added to that after I learned, after I, I like, I've been studying 
violence, fear, and aggression for 40 fucking years now. Yeah. And one day I realized the pen is mightier than the sword. I'm a reasonable person. I'm, I'm willing to de-escalate and have a conversation. The pen is mightier than the sword. And then I added to it in brackets when you know how to use a sword. In other words, <laughs> right? In the back of your mind, yeah. you go, you know what? Like, I'm happy to, to, to kind of find a compromise here. But if we fight, here's what's going to happen. And, yeah. and of course you don't say that, you don't be a dick, but just to know that you can protect yourself and your family, it changes the, your emotional relationship to any type of conflict. Exactly. It's the, it's the, uh, the warrior in the garden versus the gardener at war. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's a great metaphor. Yeah. Anyhow. So, uh, you know, here I am, it's 1980. I'm like Rocky. We, every time we finish, this is, this is my SOP, you know, uh, I, I'd finish shipping and then I'd kick the shit out of a box because we had to cut them up for the garbage anyhow. But I'd be doing back kicks and side kicks. And, and it was li literally like having like a big heavy bag because they were probably 50, 60 pounds empty yeah. and, and, and rigid. So I'd be standing there, wham, wham, wham. And I'd, I'd be nailing it. And uh, uh, in fact, my first, first accidental student was this guy, Bobby, who was the head shipper there. You know, like he go, hey, show me that shit. So we we work out after after work. One day, I'm beating the crap out of a box, and I turn around, and there's this guy Joey, who's my dad's biggest client, and uh, uh, successful businessman. He's watching me, and he's known me because he's known my dad for for ten years now, maybe longer. He's watched me grow up, and now I work at the business, and I'm sweeping and shipping, starting at the bottom. And uh, he says, hey. I see you're getting really good at this stuff. I said, oh, thanks. Thanks, Joey. He said, Mitch, his 15-year-old son, his eldest son, he says, is having a bully problem at school. He wants me to teach him. So I literally at 20 years old. I got this 15-year-old kid. I say, I, I'm happy to do it. He says, how much do you charge? I go, I'm not going to charge you. You're a friend of the family. And yeah. and uh, your, your, your son's having problems. I know Mitch. I know Mitch since he's like three years old. Yeah. He says, no, no, no. I want you to take this seriously. I want you to be on time. I want the lesson prepared. I don't want my son being bullied. I said, I got it. Now I'm making four bucks an hour. So he goes, so how much? So I'm like, I'm a little slow. So I go, he goes, how's $20? So I think, okay, five lessons a month. Yeah, I go, that's fine, whatever. He goes, so I'll pay you $20 every class. Don't be late. Make sure my son is safe. And I realize. Holy fuck. I'm making $4 an hour. This guy just offered me 20 bucks for a private lesson. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, like, like literally in the conversation, I'm going, I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm like, just like, <laughs> like I've, I haven't even done one class, but here's what happened next. And this is the coolest thing. And this is like the, uh, the accidental mentor, the moment, the, yeah. the serendipity of, I was, I'd already, I told you before, I, was te I taught skiing, I taught tennis, I loved coaching. Uh, and and I, I loved not violence, I loved the idea of being able to manage violence. Mm -hmm. I didn't get into a lot of fights, I avoided a lot of stuff because of the fear, but I didn't like the feeling because I knew I was avoiding it because I didn't know what to do, which is different from avoiding it morally, ethically, legally. Yeah. And, uh, and it's subtle. And, and I think alpha guys and gals need to understand that. Don't let pride or ego dictate your next strategy. 
particularly in a cancel culture litigious society this isn't like samurai days where you and i you know you're looking at each other in the bar we just drank some sake and we're going to go out and cut each other in half with katanas and and nobody gives a shit, right it's like we're just gonna watch <laughs> so the world's very very different anyways long story short mitch starts training and his brother says how come mitch gets private lessons well his dad didn't want them mixing because mitch was having a bully issue so now i'm teaching like within two weeks steven's taking lessons then we're working out in his garage with the garage door open uh derek across the street hey what are you guys doing i'm not shitting you within about a month i had 30 private students from 15 16 17 year old kids that were all good athletes um and i'm not that much older i'm 20 there's a significant difference but it's like yeah and I was, working, I was still working five days a week for my dad, some days six. We'd work on Saturday sometimes. And then every day after work, I would go teach two or three private lessons in Saturday, Sunday. And I did that until 1985. And I, I don't even know how many thousands of hours I taught uh, in that period until I finally, in 1985, said, I, I'm not going to, my future isn't in ladies' Uh, 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 clothing manufacturing import. <laughs> I'm out of here, and I went and opened up my own my my first school in 1985. But uh, it's it it's all of those, and I guess part of why I told that story is you know you started saying hey what are your failures? Um, to expand on that, any trial and tribulation, if you if you know if there's a part of you that spiritually goes, what's life trying to teach me here? You right. can get ahead of like the resilience and after action, which of course you know what that is, but maybe some of your listeners don't. Like a, a, the AAR, the after action, where you go, what are my lessons learned? What did I do that? Right. Well, what happens? What happens if you start off any day going like? And I, there was a, I, I just did this uh, a post from Salvador Dali. I have a picture of him, and there's a quote under it, and he and he goes. Every day I get up and I ask myself, what is Salvador Dali going to do? What great thing is he going to do today? And I read this and I was like, who the fuck talks about themselves in the third person? Right. You know, what's Tony? I'll turn to my wife. Jess, what's Tony Blower going to do today? Shut the fuck up. Take out the garbage. (laughs) But I thought about it. And then going a layer deeper, I went, you know, the expression, you might as well be yourself because everyone else is taken. Yeah. Right. It was like, what if we got up and we went, life's a roller coaster ride. We don't know what's going to happen, but what am I going to do today? What, what great thing can I do today that will, and one of my favorite quotes is be willing to give up who you are today for who you could become tomorrow. And it's just this mindset and it's easier said than done, man. Like, like this might sound like uh, Tony's like the Zen monk. I'm not. I got a bad temper. I'm fucking moody. I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> I got a ton of flaws that get. But what happens is very quickly, if you've got good principles guiding, you know, your life, you can you go from fuck to okay, what the fuck just happened? Oh. That's because I'm stupid and I rushed. Okay. Okay. How, how am I going to recover? What's the lesson here? And, and that's, I think that's, and that's a, really, what it's a, it's a form of emotional intelligence. And I was just talking about that with my coaching group was, I mean, you, as you 
self-develop yourself as you learn more. You become emotionally intelligent to where your feelings aren't necessarily running you. They're feelings. You can you understand them, right, and where they're at in the body. Um, but they're not getting you to react. You're able to, like, step back and go, okay, what just happened? Let me react in the best na- nature of myself and for the people around me. 100%. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. I, I, uh, I got three kids and, uh, um, 30, you know, 31, 32, I should know the exact name, age, right? uh, 25, 20. So I make these big, you know, in the last five years, I've, I've had these massive light bulb moments, right? These epiphanies yeah, yeah. like, and I'm like, holy shit. And I text my kids because nobody talks anymore, right? I text my kids. Well, they all live in there. I go, hey, and I go, screenshot this or save this because this is going to be meaningful one day, right? I wish somebody told me this when I was 20 or 25 or 30 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and then I send it and then I start laughing to myself right away going, if my father sent me anything like this when I was 20, I would be polite and respectful. I'd be, Thanks, dad. But I'd be going, what a fucking crazy old man, right? <laughs> and I, so, I, so, so I do what I need to do as the dad but I also have the ability, and that's that self-awareness yeah, and, and, and the emotional intelligence to go back and going, they think I'm fucking nuts. They think I'm like, like going, okay, dad, we got, because when you were 20 and 30, you thought you were invincible and you knew yeah. better. And, and I, I believe yeah, that, that down in my core. Yeah. Yeah. You, they, sorry. The, the universal law doesn't apply to me. Other right. people. Thank you. Right. Right. It's fun. It's fun. It's interesting being being a dad and running a team. And you know this. You're- oh, I love it, man. It's the the wor- the hardest and hardest and uh, worst and most, most rewarding important. thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Tony, where I mean, you kind of talked about it at the beginning with like you know being twelve years old and getting jumped and then you know skiing and the fear, this whole fear thing. But where when did the whole no fear? Because I don't remember that back in when I was when I was serving. Yeah. And, and we did some exist. stuff. It didn't exist. So when did this kick off? When did that light bulb moment happen? And when did you pivot to that? So very interesting. Like, so the 80s, 1980, 1993 was my incubator period. The, the three main verticals in my company right now is our, our scenario training division, the whole spear system, which is how do we weaponize the startle flinch? How do we use physiology and, and, and neurobiology to make us safer? And yeah. then the whole no fear, the whole no fear program. So those are the three big uh, divisions. And of course, we've got the equipment. And the reason I explained that these were my the incubator periods and to answer the no fear program or, or question was in the in 1980, the kid that I was teaching, Mitchell, got the, the he, he ended up having a fight with that bully I was training him for. Here, and here's another example of your first question. Failure. I'm training this kid every week. Three months later, he gets in a fight with the guy that's been bullying him and he gets dropped with a left hook. Yeah. Now, in 1980, I was heavily influenced by Bruce Lee. I was been doing Taekwondo for years. I fucking loved boxing. I was training at a, a, a real boxing gym where, I mean, they had, you know, uh, ranked fighters there and, and I'm in there working with guys and, and, uh, you know, of course, I'm messing around with guns and knives and, and I'm like all the things. I'm all in as a martial artist. Yeah. But what yeah. am I what am I teaching Mitchell? I'm teaching him what I know. Mm-hmm. So 
and, and you know this, like you can teach somebody how to hold a gun and shoot a gun and shoot at targets, but that doesn't mean they're going to be cool, calm, collected in a combat environment. And I also, you know, and, and, and uh, you'll appreciate this because most people don't know the name Chesty Puller. You'd have to be a Marine, right? But but the, the genius of Chesty Puller back, back in the day was he had, I don't know if you knew this, you, I'm sure you do, but where when they would go down and do like 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 FTX and scenario training, he had guys shooting uh, over the, their heads from the other side there. And when, when everyone said, that's too dangerous, we, let's shoot downrange and get used to acclimate to the sound. He'd say, well, a bullet coming at you sounds very different than a bullet leaving your gun. And yeah. we need to help them overcome that fear. I mean, that was genius for back then, right? Um, so I was like influenced by all this stuff. And, and I would have these really cool ideas. But what I was teaching was, Mitch, here's how you box. Here's how you kick. I, I had also competed as a wrestler. Here's how you grapple. Uh, and this is like 1980. So there's no MMA, organized yeah. MMA, just intuition. Well, he gets into the fight. And... Uh, I come back. I, I I don't know the fight happened. It happened during the day. I'm there for his private lesson. I come in the room, Nick, and he's like this. And it, you know the cartoons with with the smoke coming out of the ears, like the you know, like you could literally see he's red, he's fuming. I go I go. What happened? He jumps up out of his chair. He goes, motherfucker. I go, Mitch, calm down. Take a breath. I don't understand what you're talking about. Tell me what happened. He goes, I'm running to class. I'm late. And magically, this story is going to turn into how did no fear start, right? Okay. Um, okay. He says, I'm late for class. I'm running there. And this fucker, he sees me running and he sticks his leg out and trips me, you know, as I'm going by. And I go flying with all my books. And uh, I just had it. Every, all the kids are laughing. He's 15, right? All the kids are laughing. He says, I pick it up my books and I'm swearing, you motherfucker piece of shit. And he hears this and he stands up. He says, what did you call me? He says, and, he, and Mitch looks at me, he goes, so I stood up and I said, you fucking asshole. I don't even know you. You've been bugging me since the beginning of school. Well, I don't know what your fucking problem is. And, and I say to him, and then what happened? He goes, he shoved me. I go, okay. He goes, well, I said, what happened next? He goes, well, you told me uh, like no sucker punching, legit fights and and uh so i grabbed the guy and i slammed him against the locker bank and i said don't ever put your hands on me again and uh which was ironic because he had his hands on him right yeah, right, yeah. It's that emotional anger thing right i shove you and you go fuck you man and with yeah. that's, that's how most of those ego fueled fights start right. and uh so mitch says i, I grabbed him and I'm telling him never to, to touch me again. And he says, and Mitch looks at me, he goes, he sucker punched me and dropped me. And I'm like, well, Mitch, why didn't you bob and weave? Why didn't you check it? Why didn't you parry it? And he literally looks at me, Nick, and he goes, he looks up and away to visualize the fight. And he goes, well, I had my hand here and I was holding all my school books. And in that moment, and you as a guy who's scrapped, who's learned yeah. how to fight, like if I told you, let's box, but, you know, hold these two glasses in your hand while we box, how soon till I punch you in the face, right? Like right away. Yeah. 
because in retail people never compromise your hands. You're in yeah. a fight, you need yeah. your hands, right? But in that moment, I was only 20, it was 1980. I and I love telling this story because because I literally I I, I said it was like the god of self-defense hit me with a lightning bolt. And and I went, oh my God, we teach self-defense wrong. And I said it plural as a 20-year-old. I meant like, because I've been studying martial arts for almost 10 years now, yeah. reading every book. I'm like a nut. Like, And they all start with how to get out of a headlock, how to do a gun disarm, how to, how to uh, stop a knife with an X block, how to parry a kick, how to slip a punch. And the insight I had, and I explain it very, very differently now, the insight I had was we don't, work on the emotional psychological buildup to the confrontation and, and now i can explain everything from a neuroscience to the to the neuron signal speed to the neurobiology of the startle flinch hijacking executive function blah 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 i can explain all that nerdy shit. but back then i just knew we were starting self-defense too late actions faster than reaction if i say to you nick you're a good athlete you know get ready to block this punch by the way you know what's your dominant side right side or left side for you right which one so and i i throw a slow punch here and i just hit you in the face because i got you thinking and answer your question my right yeah. side oh fuck, wait, i wasn't ready because yeah. how we how we spar is you have a mouth guard yeah okay tap gloves hey let's just go let's just go light okay we we communicate everything we're going to do whether we're doing jujitsu or kickboxing or whatever and even though some of the sparring we can do can be dangerous there's what I call ACP, awareness, consent, and preparation. It's not a surprise. And that changes everything. But real violence is always a surprise. First, your emotional, then your psychological, and then your physical systems. And that can happen really fucking fast. Violence loves speed. Mm. So what I realized in that moment was, holy shit, I taught, I prepared Mitch incorrectly. I was teaching him how to spar in the street, which is not the same as self-defense. And that's right. the big mistake after 40 years, I can say, and I say this with love, don't hate me, hate the bad guy, to everyone teaching self-defense, that if you're just doing the physical stuff, you're leaving out detect and avoid the fuse and de-escalate and the emotional psychological factors. Long story short, I say to Mitch right away, are those your books? Like right away, I knew what to do. He goes, yeah. I said, grab your books and grab me exactly how you grabbed him and let's reverse engineer this. And we started playing with, if I, because if I told you never compromise your hands, Nick, in a fight, is there a chance that you see two guys fighting in a bar and you know one of the guys and you decide to be the courageous bystander and you go in like like Mills Lane or, or Big John McCarthy and go, hey, and you push away and you grab, hey man, take it easy. Is there a chance that you're gonna grab somebody in the future? Fuck yeah, yeah. right? And so like the idea of saying, control your the distance you can't control the distance in a confined space you can't at an emotional psychological level you don't know if you're going to grab somebody by the throat and fucking so what we need to do is we need to learn how to fight integrating our emotional psychological self where we are in our life and that was the system that i ended up creating but here's the neat thing two things and we're going to segue to no fear is when mitch lost i tell people and i've written about this his loss hit me harder than that left hook hit him. I was like clinically depressed. I'm exaggerating here. I was like fucking so mad at myself for weeks going, fuck, man. In other words, I could have said, 
I'm not cut out to be a self-defense instructor. I don't know mm. what I'm doing. Yeah. What I did is I, I immersed myself in the pain and what evolved out of there was the first behaviorally based approach to self-defense that turned into from there that day forward, every class we did, if I couldn't, this is like, like 20, 30 years before, before Simon uh, Sinek's, you know, what's your why? Yeah. Is like, why are we doing this? If I can't connect this drill, this principle, this exercise to something that's going to make me safer in the street, let's not practice it. Because I was just I was just focused on self-defense. So we started every class was a scenario, something in the news, something in a newspaper, something in a conversation. What's bothering you now? What, what did you see? And you go, well, I was here and this car stopped and this. Okay. And that developed the whole no fear, I'm sorry, the uh, nonviolent postures, the startle flinch emerged out of that. Mm -hmm. And then what, because we were doing scenarios over and over again, every month we would put on uh, a, a, a hockey helmet. I grew up in Canada, hockey gloves, Taekwondo chest guard, baseball shin guards, and we beat the shit at each other in scenarios. We do is that, is that where the spear system came from? <laughs> spear system emerged 1986. I started doing these these uh, almost surgical drills where I go. We're not sparring anymore. I would say, Nick, go stand over there. I'm going to come up and I would walk up to you like this close, man. And I go, hey, dude, listen, no, no, no. And you'd be there going, oh, fuck. And you'd, all, you all you'd have on is a, a mouth guard and mm -hmm. I'd have on 16 ounce gloves. Because when when you when you're sparring and controlling distance, like you love jujitsu, right? So yep. jujitsu over and over again, you create a dopamine relationship with being super close because yep. you feel safer, and you have certain moves that you like that work for you. Mm -hmm. So you create uh, uh, you create a an unconscious bias to a specific neural pattern. And what that does is that this is very fucking nerdy and heavy. I like um, it. Get it. Let's, let's break it down. This, this impacts your functioning situational awareness. Your yeah. situational so situational awareness is a conscious cognitive skill. I need to be awake and I need to be aware there's a problem. We have a maximum, no awareness, no chance. So if, you know, if I'm here looking at my gun and looking at my phone and I look up and you punch me in the head. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I, I can record the fight and shoot you. Look at me. I'm on YouTube. Yeah. I have no awareness. I'm going to get dropped. Yeah. If all I go to use is a gun, then I'll never think about striking or grappling or how about this? Running away. Right. <laughs> right. Barricade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I always talk about this is that particularly like like every crowd, whenever anything happens in the world, you look at the comments you know, and I hate these, uh, play stupid uh, games, win stupid prizes. You know, that's why I always carry, get clapped, get like, you know, and I'm like, unless your gun is always in your hand. And even then this isn't a guarantee your hands, when you flinch, cause a bomb goes off cause a, an active shooter or somebody takes a swing at you by default, I don't care if you're jujitsu, MMA, boxing, Krav, Taekwondo, if we're standing there as humans and I go, fuck you, man, and I jump at you, you're doing this. Yeah. It's called a startle flinch. You, your hands come up to protect the head. You're, so there's no way your gun is in your hand, your knife is in your hand, your OC is in your hand. And so I always tell people, you got to weather the ambush 
and emotionally, psychologically get in control of yourself, physically dominate your opponent, and then transition to this complex motor scale. And the more you start to understand the neural biology of survival, the faster you can make that conversion. It's almost like, you know, if I said to you, do you know to clear a jam in a pistol? Of course. Yes. Yeah. Are you really good at it? Fuck yeah, yeah. I'm good. you're probably most, and I, tell, I make this joke when I'm working with shooters. We have a gunfighting course. I go, I go, how many of you are really good at clearing your, your, your jams? Everyone puts their hand up. How many of you are so good? How many of you think you're actually better at clearing your jam than shooting a target on the move? And everyone starts laughing because most people are like, really like, and they're back, you know, they're back in yeah. operation. But if I said, you know, threat you know, oh fuck it they missed the shot from you know four <laughs> four feet away right right the factors there are all fear and this is why the no fear program is relevant and i, and I want to talk about the pivot in in 1980 85 when it really got got specific is this is fear sudden a sudden stimulus a violent stimulus creates a fear spike at a physiological level if you're out in the woods and you hear your your instinctive system goes, that's a fucking rattlesnake. You never confuse that for a small tambourine band, right? You're not going, is that a little <laughs> tiny tambourine band? Right. And and if you're golfing and you hit the, the 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 ball into the woods and you reach and you find it in some tall grass, and as you're bending over to grab it, you see a stick. Your, your survival system will err on the side of survival. It'll go, yeah. that stick looks like a snake and go, fuck. And then you go, oh, fuck, there's a stick, thank God. Right? <laughs> It'll never go, that looks like a snake, but I think it's a stick. It'll yeah. always go, that looks like a snake. Right. And so in making these observations, I started saying, what would happen if we just always leaned into what our physiology wants to do? And that became our thesis statement. What does your body want to do prior to any training? Does it have a protective or a tactical application? If so, why aren't we using it? Mm. And so all of this was happening in the 80s when I was doing scenarios. The spear system happened in the 80s because as we got closer doing these like like what we called micro fights, we just work on like sudden jack-in-the-box moments, like a little, oh, fuck. It would trigger yeah. the flinch. I was going, I go, how is it that my startle flinch is more effective? A, a move that I've never trained is more effective than moves I have trained. Like the wax on, wax off. Karate Kid didn't didn't exist back then. But the yeah. idea that that if I stood in front of you and I was like this, going, you ready for me, Nick? Ready for me? And I go, wham! And I throw the punch. That sometimes you parry it, sometimes you slip it. But when you, I missed you completely, it's because you went, whoa, fuck. The, so the, the startle flinch bypasses cognition and it deploys like a biological airbag. And it was like, holy fuck, this, and think about this. I don't know if, if you've had any experiences, but I know you know paramedics and EMS people, yeah. cops. Ask them, when someone is in a, a car accident and goes through a window, where is there always trauma? And they will tell you, hands and forearms. Nobody goes through the window like this. Fuck, oh, right? The hands come up. Think of the speed that your hands come up that, that actually beats the airbag that actually beats wow. the glass. Every, you ask a, a buddy, knife fights, gun fights, always trauma on the hands and the forearms. So you, uh, we've, got a, we've got a picture that I use in our law enforcement training class. It's a, it's a guy, he's dead in a chair, man. He's got a bullet hole in his face 
and he's got a bullet hole in the inside of his arm and a bullet hole on the outside of his arm. You can see the two holes here and one here. And I, and I tell people he's like lying there like this. And I go, answer quickly. How many times has this guy shot? And people, I don't know, three, three holes? No, one. Because I went like this, fuck, right? And you went, whoa. And I go, so here's the thing is the startle flinch is faster than a speeding bullet. Not literally. The good news is the startle flinch is faster than a speeding bullet. The bad news is it doesn't stop the bullet. But what we started looking at is, is we're getting into, I'm starting to do a self-defense seminar here, which is fun, right? We talk about the three eyes. Remember I said earlier, like this is like the first behaviorally based self-defense system. Truly, I'm integrating science at every level. Three eyes, instincts. I said uh, with a snake golfing analogy. If if you think you're about to get hit by a bullet, by a fist, by a knife, by a snake, your body prepares for danger. But you're not thinking. Like, how many times have you flinched in your life? Thousands. Who knows, yeah. knows right? Yeah. But can you recall ever saying to yourself, holy shit, that's coming at my head really fast. Flinch. No. <laughs> like, right? No. So this is the needed. This is the coolest thing. Nobody has ever said, flinch, flinch to yourself. So flinching is a non-conscious, unconscious response that your survival system deploys independent of your conscious cognitive situational awareness. In fact, if you're moving through a house and all of a sudden you go, what the fuck? And you turn, you didn't see something, you felt something. Your intuition, so this is what we've done is we've blended instincts, intuition, and intelligence that if I feel there's danger, I choose the safest thing and I move. Now, the the stop gap or the 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 um uh the 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 caveat that makes this all slow down in a bad way is psychological fear not physiological or survival fear in other words i i i stand up and i start threatening you and i go fuck you man and you go whoa 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 like that startle flinch to calm me down was reflexive yeah if you don't know how to manage violence technically and tactically, and I go, here's what I'm going to do, man. I'm going to rip your fucking heart out and, and I'm going to eat it before you hit the ground. And you go, oh my God, he's going to rip my heart out. Is that even medically possible? Like what's, and now the movie's playing in your mind. And this is where yeah. most people, including professional fighters, uh, uh, military personnel, it's the psychological fear that hijacks the connection to their cognitive brain, which allows them to deploy the actual skill set that they've trained. So like the, the great book, Fog of War, right? Where, yeah. where soldiers couldn't shoot or shoot low or high because it was an emotional moment where they couldn't shoot the bad guy. They had the training and they qualified, but something happened that said, I, drop it, drop it, drop it, fuck. And I, and I couldn't pull the trigger. So we've really investigated and started investigating this. And this happened, this happened in 1985-ish, where I was listening to an interview with a guy named Howard Gardner. And he had written a book called Frames of Mind, Social Scientist. And, and, and he said something that just kind of blew my mind. And, and there weren't whiteboards back then. I actually wrote this out on a blotter on my desk. Most of you listening to this show don't know what a blotter is. Uh, Google it, right? And so back in the days of VHS, Google that. And so the um, he said, 
80% of our motivation is derived from our expectations. And I was like, literally, I heard that. I said out loud to the radio, I was driving. I went, what, what? And he repeats it as if he was listening to me. Yeah. But he did this pregnant pause. He said, 80% of our motivation is derived from our expectation. So if, if my expectations are negative, I quit. If my expectations are negative, I don't show up. If my expectations are negative for, and this ties right into your coaching. Right. If you got somebody who thinks that they're toxic, that I can't be an entrepreneur, I can't have a successful marriage, I can't, uh, I can't do this, I can't, I can't, can't. Their expectations are always negative and they're not going to be able to they're, they're show fucked. up fully. Yeah, they're fucked. Yeah. It's the same. In, and, and that's just a, that's a limiting self-belief thing. It's the same thing in sports. If you think the other team's better and you're like, oh, shit, we're about to get fucked up. Well, you've lost you've lost the fight before you even started. 100%. And, and so in the 80s, in the 80s, what happened was uh, I realized in doing the scenarios that the people who managed their fear managed to fight. Mm. And I'll say that again. The people who managed their fear managed to fight. It didn't guarantee... Uh, victory and it didn't guarantee that they they uh um again like we're, we're going to win the fight but mm -hmm. what it did is guarantee they were in the fight and you know this from uh, like even losing fights if you're in the fight and you fight hard you leave it with your dignity and your and your self-esteem intact yeah. and maybe even uh, bolstered because your resilience People don't understand the, the power of resiliency. Right. The, the, the unfortunate thing about, about resilience is you need to go through shit to become more resilient, like a like an emotional callus. Um, so That's so it's kind of interesting. You but, say that because I always tell everybody, you know, I get young kids messing me like, well, how do you get the warrior spirit? Well, you've got to do some really uncomfortable, hard things to go through. Like that's right. how you don't just get it by watching a YouTube video or listen to a podcast or reading a book. Like you physically and mentally right. have to go through these things. Yeah, you, you have to get in the fight, get punched in the face. It's you know, it's it's got it's got to be real. It's got to be three dimensional. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, and I always make the joke. I don't know if you ever heard of the book, The Inner Game of Tennis. Mm. Um, it's considered the 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 classic book on not just tennis strategy, but but any 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 sports uh, uh, strategy and stuff like that. So I would use it when people would say, "Hey." you know, visualization, you got to do this, you got to do that, blah, blah, blah. I go, you can read the inner game of tennis book a thousand times, but if you don't pick up a racket and hit a ball, you'll still never be able to play tennis. Right. But there comes a point where you have to three-dimensionally uh, uh, make shit happen. Now, there, there's an interesting thing is I believe, I say that, and this sounds like a contradiction, I teach people self-defense on Zoom all over the world. And so there's a school of thought that goes, that's bullshit. You can't teach self-defense. But what I, uh, you know, virtually you got to go in there. You know, Bruce Lee said, you know, you can't learn to swim standing on a beach. Right. You got to get in there and you got, and you got to do it. Um, what I've discovered in going back to this whole no fear thing is this, that if I push you in the water, you'll either sink or swim. And the swimming is just a combination of intuitive buoyancy and a shitty dog paddle and kicking your feet and, and moving around. So why somebody would drown and not try to swim to the raft or to the floating tree or, or whatever is because 
of fear, psychological fear. And I, I love using this acronym, false expectations appearing real. I've it's used, since you've said that, I have used that so much. Powerful. So much. It's so powerful, right? We're visualizing our, our doom, our destruction, our demise in the future, and it's debilitating us in the present. And um, so I believe that, and this became like right now, so we've got ground fighting, gun fighting, operator course, multiple sale and stuff, all these things, some really cool stuff. And you know this, how we met. I work with tier one guys all over the world. i got a training team. If you said to me, you can only teach one course the rest of your life. You got 20 amazing courses. What's your favorite? It's the no fear, right? Why? Because only the people who manage their fear can manage the fight. And that goes for business. When, when it was two weeks to flatten the curve, two weeks to flatten the curve, man. You want to talk about an, another, like, holy shit? Two weeks to flatten the curve. I went, this is great. I, I work out of my house. I'll spend more time with the family. This is cool. But I'm a boutique. Right, I'm not a Costco. Yeah, uh, I'm a boutique, and and 97 of my clients are first responders. Mm-hmm. Well, they were all deployed. There was no training, and it went. First phase was deploy, and then it was defund the police. So no money, no training. Mm-hmm. People quitting. My revenue went from. I'm not going to tell numbers here, but it went from whatever I was doing to literally like. Hey, how come the lights aren't working? Dude, <laughs> hey, I'm trying to brush my teeth. Uh, who turned off the water? And that didn't yeah. happen to us. I'll give you an example. Like it just stopped. Yeah. Because, uh, like, we had in the first two months, th- I think, 35 courses get canceled. Oh my and gosh, man! All of my courses were live in person, and all of my courses led to high gear sales. So the training led to the equipment, mm-hmm. and it all stopped. And I was sitting there one day like this. I don't know if you've ever had anyone, uh, you know what a shop vac is? Yeah. You know, those the shop vac uh, industrial vacuum. I don't know if you've ever had anyone shove a shop vac up your ass and suck your insides out. Um, no, I've never that, had that happen. But, that's not happened to me yet, Tony. No. Right? So I've never had that literally happen, but I imagine that's what it felt like when I was sitting in my office and I went, if this goes on much longer, I'm going to lose everything. The ability to provide for my family. Uh, I'm going to lose all the way from the, the security and provide for my family to all of the materialistic bullshit you accumulate when you work your ass off. Right? So it's like, oh, I'll lose my house. I'll lose my car. I don't give a fuck about that shit. Uh, uh, but I'm going to lose everything. And I got so scared, man, and 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 it, it was insane. I gave myself 24 hours to commiserate, and then I called my team, and I said, you can't solve a problem if you are the problem, and I'm the fucking problem right now because I'm in the fear loop. Here's what I'm visualizing. And this is the neat thing about the No Fear program. Mm-hmm. I think the strongest thing about it is this idea that I tell people, hey, just because you went through the course doesn't mean you don't have fear. That that you're, was not, you're, not absolved, you're not absolved from fear. Correct. Yeah. That, and this is the neat thing. You remember the No Fear and No Fear company, still mm-hmm. around, adrenaline company. Uh, uh, I used to have every one of their shirts. Remember, I've always been a, a, afraid of fear. And so 
in the 80s when I think they launched or 90s, I can't remember now, I'd see a No Fear shirt, I'd buy that. And I used to make a joke when I started teaching, I'd be up on stage before No Fear, I'd go, hey, these shirts are defective. I bought this shirt, but I still had stage fright before coming up here and people would laugh. And then I'd say, you know, and this was this is where we came up with No Fear. It was like writing it on, on a whiteboard and I would say, there's no such thing as No Fear because the moment you are introduced to something outside your comfort zone, your brain will automatically go, can I handle that? And that's a form of fear. Mm-hmm. And if I and if I extend that, if I say, Nick, will you defend yourself against one guy? You'll go, fuck yeah. What about two? You'll go, yeah. At some point, I'm going to hit a number where you pause and go, that's a lot. Well, that's I'm going to fight. I know that. Right? Yeah. And But what we're doing is is we're 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 introducing the idea that everyone has a number or a scenario where they go yeah i guess i'd be fucked there yeah and that's the false expectations appearing real unfortunately it happens to most of us with so many things in their lives and and uh and what i realized one day is writing on the whiteboard i said there's no such thing as no fear but when you get to know fear and you realize i can work with fear i can use fear as fuel I can use fear as a spiritual uh, um, uh, pre-contact cue mm-hmm. to like turn and face the threat. And hopefully it's coming at me super slow that I've tried to YouTube and call my mentor and go, what do I do here? Right. And that's, that's really uh, where it's expanded to that. Now there's corporate application and no fear teams and no fear family. And, but it started off with how do I manage fear in a sudden violent encounter because if I don't manage the psychological fear, I can't access my complex motor skills, be it jujitsu, boxing, shooting, whatever it is, because I'm stuck in the fear loop for for where it could be yeah. a nanosecond and the battle is already moving. Yeah. Crazy. So you came up with fear is false expectations appearing real. I, I, I don't think that was my original acronym. It might have been. There's a bunch of things that I've said for decades now. Um, the uh, um, I, I honestly, like, I, this I'm going to sound like obnoxious here. I started saying to people, hey, uh, the theory determines the experience, guys. And uh, if you don't understand why, if you don't understand exactly why are we doing this drill. And so, and one day I said, Someone asked me, like, who said that? And I, I said, this is going to be obnoxious. Please, <laughs> grain of salt this. I said, to, I said to my group, they said, hey, who said that? Because a guy was working on an article. I said, I think it was fucking Einstein who said I think he said something about that. And the guy's doing some research. And he comes back, like, two weeks later. He says, you fucking said it, not Einstein. And I went, well, I am smarter than Einstein. Anyhow, whatever. It's all relative. It's all relative. Anyhow. Um, but I don't know. If I heard it or if I heard another one. Uh, I think, and, Tony, and, I think uh, once you hit six, like six zero in age and eight. above, you get to just do and say whatever the hell you want. And people just have to, oh, okay, well, he's crazy. So, um, but there's I'm another. A, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a stickler, though, for attribution and professional. Oh, I appreciate I don't know that. who said it. Uh, but there's another acronym that you go with, and I forgot. And it was impactful, and I forgot it. What was? Do you know what the other one is? Oh my God! There's regarding regarding fear. Yeah, it, it, go, it went together. Okay, so false evidence appearing real, false expectations appearing real. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So false evidence is when you look around and you see, like, like, uh, uh, 
you know, um, I'll give a fighting example. You, you know, you're going to go to a tournament this weekend and you go, you're looking around and you're going, you know what? I think I'm going to fucking win today. I'm like sizing everybody up here and I'm fucking, I'm going to win today. And, uh, and then you're here and then all of a sudden the door opens and uh, Hoist Gracie comes in and he goes, hey, can I sign up? And you go like, and you're like, oh, fuck, Hoist Gracie's here. Well, I can still podium. I'll come in second. Hoist obviously will beat me. Yeah. And then you're, you know, then you're doing it. And all of a sudden, uh, friggin' Hickson comes in. And you're like, oh, fuck, now I'm third. And then someone else better than comes in. You haven't even competed yet. And you're already when I lost, Sizing I lost, I lost, up. I lost. So, but, but false evidence appearing real triggers false expectations appearing real. You you know, you, you turn around at a bar with your beers and you turn around, hey, thanks, man. And you turn around, you bump into me. And as you bump into me, the beer goes on you and you're like, fuck. And you go, you fucking, and you're, you're about to say you fucking asshole. And as you're a big man, as you go, you fucking asshole, talking about this guy, you look at him and it's like some guy with bigger cauliflower ears and a yeah, bigger yeah. broken nose and a tap out shirt on. And he's six inches taller than you. And you go, you fucking ass. I'm such an asshole. Look at me. I've got no situation <laughs> awareness. Hey, this beer's for you, right? Because yeah. right? what your brain does right away, and I always explain this to people, most people, unless you're a unicorn or, or a liar, our brain, because of the way our nervous system grew out of the fight, flight, freeze and all that, if I, if I get a toothache, I don't go, oh my God, I, I hope this is root canal because I want to go to the dentist and experience root canal. Your brain goes, oh, fuck. It immediately defaults to, remember I said earlier, there's a yeah. stick. I think it's a snake. Yeah. This is bad shit. And so we default to the negative. So right. the evidence creates the movie. Mm-hmm. And and this is actually, uh, and you've seen this when I did, when I did the, uh, the no fear talk. Um, we are the producer, the director, and the casting director of the movie in our mind. And we've cast ourselves as victim number one in, in our own movie, which is an insane concept, but it's also an insanely powerful metaphor that yeah. we often will sit there like this going, fuck, what the fuck am I going to do? And what you're doing is you're playing this movie where you're getting your ass kicked. And, and you need to cultivate the self-awareness to go, why am I visualizing an event in the future where I'm losing my business, my marriage, this fight, whatever it is? Why am I doing that? And it's okay to contemplate it, but not forever. So fear, spike creates doubt, doubt creates hesitation, hesitation creates procrastination. That happens so fast. Ding, ding, yeah. ding, ding. The self-awareness piece is, whoa, stop this movie. This is not happening. What is fear asking me to study, research, or do right now? And then that, that's where that's where things. Let me know, let me tell you a quick story. So I was I had a jiu-jitsu competition, and um, you know I was probably uh, I think I was pretty close to getting my blue belt. So this is a white belt tournament. So this is just a bunch of you know grown men in their forties that have no fucking clue what they're doing fighting each other, right? And um, so I'm like, I, you know, I'm pretty confident. You know, because I'm pretty close to that level. So, I'm, you know, all the white belts that show up in my age bracket, if I'm, you know, closer to my blue belt than they are, then I should be decently good enough. Tony, this uh, massive human being walks in. 
he he looks to be probably maybe he's like 45 i mean neck tattoos covered in tattoos like you know i'm covered in tattoos but there's a difference he looked like a right. like a like a massive in shaped jacked ripped biker like the guy looked right. like he had been f- grappling and punching people's faces in since he was 5 years old and I right. and he walked by me and my wife's there and she goes, "That's the guy that you're going to compete against." And I looked at him and I said, "Fuck!" <laughs> Immediately, huh. I'm like, "This guy right. is just going to ragdoll the shit out of me." So knowing what I know and listening to you and you know my experience in special operations and everything I know about, I, I meet in self belief. I immediately removed myself from the situation. I went into the room next door, put my headphones on like some fucking cinematic you know, gladiator music. And I just started my warm up, and I literally, and this is cheesy as shit. And I get it. You know, I, I said, I basically started this mantra, like you're the best in the fucking world. And I just imagined myself winning. And I just said it over and over and over. And I probably warmed up for a good 30 minutes with that music and me telling myself that I'm the fucking best in the world. I'm going to go beat some ass. And it just over and over. And I was doing burpees and trying to get sweaty and running around and you know, you know, we're old, so it's, you know, you got to get warmed up. And, uh, and I went out there and, and of course this is the kind of guy he was and he's a great dude, great father. We became friends afterwards. We'll probably train together in the future, but you know, we slap and bump and he's like strength and honor. And I'm like, shit, this this guy's Ah. over over the Ah. top. gladiator. Yeah. He's like strength and honor. But you know, I went in there and, and, uh, I almost put him to sleep, you know, nice. But that was, and it could have, so, you know, you know how it is. I could have still lost. I could have done all that and still lost, but it was the actualization sure. of and, doing that. But so what you did there, like if, if you went, hey, decode this for everybody, yeah. you managed yeah. your fear. You got the fear spike, but your self-awareness said, if I stay in the movie of this guy's a biker and you know what? He's probably also a serial killer too. Nobody's <laughs> caught him yet. Right. And, uh, uh, and he's got these tattoos from eating other guys who have tattoos. Yeah. And holy fuck. So had you not caught the fear spike and went from, I thought I'd have no fear to, okay, I'm going to get to no fear now. Yeah. And you move yourself out there. And here's the thing. Listen, when your favorite song comes on, I don't care who you are. You get pumped up. Like yeah. music does stuff. One of the things that, that we do in our training is is a central nervous system stimulation and and so what we're looking for is movement patterns that that simulate and replicate self-defense movements so we're stimulating like if i want to do push-ups we don't just do push-ups and go guys let's get our beach body on i'll be doing push-ups and i'll go guys you do push-up here you're on the ground i want you in a plank position at this height and this is the same angle as your negotiator stance when you're trying to talk somebody down. So I'm making a neurological connection to the plank position as, as creating the fitness and the strength and the stamina right. for him and back off. Let's, yeah. you know, and then when we do the push up, guys, instead of bringing yourself to the floor, I want you to see the floor moving towards you as somebody charging you and you flinch backwards because that's what happens. So you come down you're working the negative of the startle flinch, the, the primal. And then I want you to push away the floor. And I want it to be this kinetic cross extensor chain, which is how you're going to throw any strike 
It's your extensor chain. It's not your flexor. Yeah. So I, we break it down so much that somebody can do 10 push-ups and do 10 push-ups with us and they're out of breath. But what they're doing is tactical push-ups and a central nervous system stimulation. So when we stand them up to do a scenario or you decide, oh, you're going out tonight yeah. and, and you know, you just want to, you know, get your brain ready because, you know, you're going to a bar and you do like 10 of these slow push-ups it creates anchors in your body that if some guy bumps you into you, that you're like, Hey man, I don't trouble. but your brain knows I'm ready to go. It's stimulated. So you did all that in the room there, warming up your body, like a burpee is a sprawl, right? You're yeah. it's not just doing the burpee. Right. It's like, if this guy shoots, I'm, I'm going to move down. Right. You know what you're doing. The, the combination of music was amazing. The self-talk was amazing. Uh, you know, and and the, the exciting part is you ended up you ended up winning. Yes, you win. And like you said, yeah. um, but this but this is also ties back to what I said earlier. The people who manage the fear manage to fight. Doesn't guarantee victory because he was doing the same shit too. Hey man, strength and honor, <laughs> you know, hits your hand and you're like, oh fuck. You know, <laughs> yeah. I hope my headphones are louder than his. That's a great story. Man. Yeah, we took a picture together, and you look at us next to each other. Everybody looked at him and was like, "Jesus, who is this guy?" Um, but it, right. but it's you know it is a great story. And it's a great lesson. Tony, you have a you have a course online. I remember you sharing it. You have a course for the No Fear line, and and I'll put the link. You still have that, right? Yep. I will put the link below. So, guys, if you if you want to truly know fear. Please, please, please take Tony's course. Um, it is available for anybody, right? Any, you know, any yeah. age group, right? Yeah. Any sex. The, the, the uh, yeah. So let me tell you, uh, like a quick, a quick question. Yeah. Uh, you can't see them, but I got a couple of tattoos as well. One of my, one of my tattoo guys is in uh, Vegas. Uh, Aaron Jackman, ghost tattoo. There you go, Aaron. There's a little plug for you. And um, um, the, are you going to be at Shot Show? Uh, I don't think so. Are you going? Yeah. No. Okay, but I'll see. I'll see. Um, you, anyway, I'll see you on the fourteenth, though. Yeah, I'll see you before that, uh, or uh, right after that. So the um, um, the Aaron calls me about a year ago, and he goes, um, "His son Salem was ten years old at the time, and he and he at all the schools, all the kids had to wear masks, and and it's Vegas, and he goes." his son is starting to exhibit signs of anxiety. Mm -hmm. So this is an answer to any age, any age. Yeah. And I, but I want, I mean, I'm guessing that while, uh, you know, you got lots of women that follow, follow you and, and, and your wife and your family and your motivating inspirational, you're mostly followed by guys. Yeah. 90%. You're a guy's guy. Yeah. 90%. Yeah. Okay. So I want all, I want all parents, guardians, coaches to listen to this story. Aaron calls me up. He says, hey, we've become friends after years of tattoos. He goes, Salem is exhibiting signs of anxiety. And as his dad, it's killing me. I can see his mood has changed. Is now going on a year and a half of masks. Mask outside when they're doing sports. You know, mask in the school. He says, I can't. I don't know what to do. He says, would your no fear program help him? Is he too young for it? And I said, and at this point, I'd never met his son. And I said, uh, I said, I said, Aaron, I said, I don't know Salem and how mature he is. So there are things in there he may not understand, but I can tell you this, you're not too young for the program and you're your son's coach. 
You're his mentor, not just his dad. I said, you can let some Marxist socialist school system raise your kid, or you can make sure you're developing critical thinking and fear management skills in your child. I said, get the fucking program and you figure out what they need to, it's like watching a movie. Hey, cover your eyes here, kid. Like, like you can't watch this scene. Know what you, anyways, he gets the program and I, I'll, I'll, if I remember, I'll, I, I think I showed it to you, the guys last year, the letter yeah. from, from Salem yeah. on the thing, where here's this 10-year-old kid, a handwritten letter thanking me. Now, here's, here's what I want your audience to hear. I didn't have a really good relationship with my father. He was not a mentor or a coach. He didn't lead me. Um, I'm a great dad because I did everything he didn't do. Mm-hmm. That sucks, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he's passed away, so there's no way to reconcile that. When I read this letter, so I sit down for a tattoo and, and Aaron goes, oh, oh, shit, uh, Salem wanted you to have this. And he gives me this little letter. You saw it. This little letter, dear, uh, dear Mr. Blower, I wanted to thank you for the No Fear program. And what I really, one of my favorite lines in our program is you can't be brave if you're not afraid. Mm-hmm. Most people don't realize that that the, the main ingredient, if not the only ingredient in bravery and courage is fear. And that's a huge reframe. Like most people don't think like the only way I can be brave if I, is if I am afraid. Otherwise, if I'm not afraid, what I'm about to do doesn't take any courage. And it's so subtle. And he goes on just thanking me. Literally, man, I say this to you. I'm sitting there. I start crying. I'm in this private tattoo shop. Tears are running down my eyes. Aaron starts crying. And why I'm crying is I go, I go, first of all, immediately I'm starting to think about my dad. Right. And I'm thinking... Here are the father and son watching and listening to videos about managing fear in life. And I'm thinking back to me as a 10-year-old wrestler, as a 12-year-old getting my ass kicked. At, at 16 afraid. years old, I yeah. want being afraid yeah. to ask Lucy to the prom, all that shit. Yep. So, yes, yep. it's for everybody. Um, and, of course, we do you know live and all that yeah. shit. But most people... Yeah. I realize most people can't get to me and get access to me, so so we recorded a digital version of my uh, my my like kind of level one presentation on this. It's great. You guys go go check that out, Tony. Where can people find you? We'll put the links below. But where do you where do you hang out the most and share yeah. the most content? Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Okay. I'm of, of course shadow banned, like a lot of us. <laughs> uh, you know, th- our, our our reach is throttled. Um, but hey, we're all talking and, to each uh, other at least. <laughs> we're on our own club. Right, <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So I'm in all those places. So wherever you are, if you're on Facebook, yeah. I'm on Facebook as Tony Bauer. And, uh, but my main, my main website, if you're interested in what we do, like if I can help you out in some way or yeah. you're interested in whatever we do, is go to blowertrainingsystems.com. That's our main landing page that will take you to high gear our, our, our self-defense training, our no fear program and, and coaching stuff. Perfect. Uh, guys, listen, if at a minimum, everyone should take the no fear training, that's a, that's a given, uh, Tony, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, and I look forward to, I look forward to, um, hanging out with you in the 14th of the Squire program. I I will see you soon. And and as soon as possible, you're on my show. I need to introduce your, your mission. I think that's coming up soon. I yeah, think it we is. Got dates. Yeah, I think in like a couple weeks. All right, guys. Uh, okay, buddy. Screenshot this. 
Tag Tony, tag myself. Share this with people that need to hear it. You might just save somebody's life. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Oh.